I won't bore you with the, the whole story, but 20 years ago, uh, this past Friday, February 14th, 2000, I sat across from a young woman who was a freshman in college, and we shared a meal together at a pizza place uh, called Barley's Pizzeria and Tap Room in Knoxville, Tennessee. And never in my life did I imagine that day uh, that what would come from that dinner would be 20 years of being in a relationship with her. And so Audrey and I, 20 years ago, this past Friday, went and had an innocent dinner. And I'm serious. You don't believe me. It was an innocent dinner. Like, I had no desire to date Audrey. Uh, she wasn't interested in dating me. We'd come out of uh, rough breakups, and we were just wanting to have somebody we could hang out and visit with. And really, my mom was the, the catalyst for this, because my mom, uh, sitting six hours away in Indiana, um, could not believe that her now 21-year-old son didn't have a significant other in his life. And so she called me up and she was depressed for me that I didn't have a date on Valentine's Day. And she said, hey, uh, we've given you a credit card. Will you just go take someone to dinner and we'll pay for it? And so we went to dinner. That's a true story, right? Yeah, we went to dinner. And, um, but what happened is, is that it turned into now 20 years of uh, sharing love and affection with each other. October of 2000, just about nine months later, uh, we got married, and uh, the rest is kind of a fun history. I share that for a couple of reasons. One, never underestimate the power of an innocent night out um, and a dinner with somebody. Uh, not that it's pressure if you went to dinner with somebody on Friday that you have to marry them, or if you're in junior high or high school and you're going to prom or you went to a dance and you don't have to marry them. But the reality is that sometimes those innocent things turn into something big. And so keep that in mind. And here's also a public service announcement I'll give you. When you are in relationship with someone, it's wise to early on understand that you will also be in relationship with their family. Okay, it's not just you living on an island all by yourself the rest of your lives. Uh, they have parents often and siblings that care about them. And so inevitably, any relationship also means a relationship with other people. And as any of us can attest, the relationships that that person shares with other people, they affect your relationship, right? They, they affect us in some way. Sometimes it's really good. And sometimes it's a story we don't really care to repeat, right? Um, some of you have mixed experiences with your in-laws. Uh, some of you would say, I have incredible in-laws. I couldn't think of anybody else that I would want to have as like a second set of parents to me. And some of you, as I even say, a second set of parents to me, you're thinking, gag me. Like, that's not the relationship I have with my in-laws. Like, like, you know, that's part of it. So this is just the warning is if you go on an innocent dinner date, you might end up with someone who's unbelievable, but you're also going to be in a relationship with their family. That's just part of it. Um, but thinking about in-laws and love and all those things that kind of go on with Valentine's Day, uh, it just had me thinking about how, how, how deeply emotional those relationships with extended family are. Again, some of us have great relationships with our in-laws, and some of us, that's not our story. Um, if we're just honest, there's a reason why there are in-law jokes, right? There, there's a reason why, because great comedy comes out of great pain, and some of you have had intense pain with your in-laws. But let's focus on those good in-law relationships. Here's what I've found, is that there are people who have the capacity to take the love they have for their child and just extend that favor and that love and that care to their child's spouse. If you're a part of a relationship with like that, it's just unbelievable. I hear people tell stories how, you know, her parents just treat me like I'm their son. 
or his parents treat me like I'm their daughter. There's something about how they can just broaden the net of that favor and that love and, and take them in and treat them like they are their own child. If you're in a relationship like that and you're the original family member, sometimes that can be hard for you, right? Um, you've been married just a year and suddenly it feels like your parents actually love her more than they love you. Like she was an upgrade. Like, okay, finally, we got what we wanted, right? Um, some of you, you know, you look out and you're like, it's just hard sometimes to see the love and favor you had extended to somebody else. Now, eventually we usually get used to that. We actually kind of like it when they get treated well, but that's just a fact of life. It's not just with in-laws. Uh, it's, it's in other relationships. How many of you like it when the favor that you once had to yourself gets extended to someone else? Maybe you remember when uh, the first sibling was born in your family. Maybe you're the oldest child and you're like, uh-oh, now I got to share this affection, right? Um, maybe you have a circle of friends and you've been hanging out and doing the same thing with the same people for a long time. You, you go to the same beach every year. You go to the same restaurant on this day. And then you show up to hang out with this group of friends and someone else brought someone with them. And it's like, wait a second. Someone else got invited to this party? What is it like to have that favor extended beyond that immediate circle? How, how many Costco members do we have in the room, Right. That's like a cult of its own. Um, you, you guys, like there are Costco groupies. I know Aldi has its Isle of Shame. Costco has its own thing. Imagine for you Costco members who have invested in your membership and, and you have this elite access to enormous things and large quantities of icing and cake and, and burger meat and all that stuff. If, if for the month of March, Costco said, you know what, we're just gonna make all of our deals open to everybody and you don't have to have a membership card. Some of you would be like, well, are you kidding me? Like, I pay good money for this. And so suddenly that favor is extended outward. How many of you know someone who's just really good at extending favor like that? That they just, they just welcome people to their table. Like, they, they don't care. They don't care who you are, how long they've known you. They just invite you in. I share those things. That's kind of the, the emotion we're going to wrestle with this morning. When we jump into Luke chapter 2, uh, 21 through 40 in just a moment, we're going to be looking at this way that God expands his love and favor, not just to include his people, who we call Israel. Um, throughout the morning, as I talk about Israel, understand I'm talking about kind of those ancestral uh, people of God that can trace back their lineage to uh, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. They're children of Abraham. Like, that's the ancestral people. There were promises given in the Old Testament to them. But what we're going to see is that the fulfillment of those promises actually reaches so many more. And, and that's hard sometimes when the love and the favor goes from just being spotlight on you to, to branching out and bringing other people in. A couple weeks ago, um, I shared with you in these first couple chapters of Luke, we're journeying through Luke this year, that uh, there are a few um, songs of praise, maybe what we would call hymns. Um, Mary's is the first. Mary has a song of praise uh, towards the end of Luke chapter 1. Uh, she proclaims God's greatness his faithfulness, each of these hymns, each of these songs of praise tell us about God and how faithful he is. So Mary's highlights God's faithfulness to lift up the downtrodden or the downcast, his faithfulness to keep his promises. And then a little later on, we have uh, the encounter with Zechariah. 
and uh, he has this, this child, John, is born. He goes into a song of praise, and he highlights not only God's faithfulness to keep his promises, but God's faithfulness to save and, and to rescue. And so we have these songs that are sung, these hymns that are exclaimed that, that help us see how faithful God is. And I told you two weeks ago that there's a third hymn, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's by a man named Simeon. And just like the other hymns, it tells us something about God's faithfulness. I also shared, and it's important to remember, that each of these hymns, as it highlights something about God and his faithfulness, it actually shows us something we can anticipate about Jesus and his mission, uh, his ministry, his message. Because Jesus is one who will come and he will lift up the downtrodden. We're going to see over the next year, uh, multiple times when Jesus touches lame and sick and blind people and they're healed, the outcasts, the downtrodden of that world. We're going to see times when he invites those who are outcasts to come and draw close to him. We're going to see that, that Jesus keeps God's promises. He, he fulfills all these things that are being anticipated. We're going to see that, that Jesus uh, saves. He rescues. There, there are times, we're going to get to them here in just a few weeks, where Jesus forgives people of their sin. And that's all pointing us towards that great act on the cross when he will die and pay the debt for all the sin of all of humanity, past, present, and future. Here's just a really cool preview for you. Um, we will, in the closing month of this year, be looking at the final week of Jesus' life. And I think that's just a really cool um, contrast. As we think about new life and new birth at Christmas, we'll be looking at the impact that that life had on this world when he came and he lived and he died and he rose again. Jesus will save. And as we look at Simeon's praise today, what we're going to see is that he highlights God's faithfulness not just to love his people Israel, but to love beyond Israel. And we're going to see Jesus bring the love of God, not just to the ancestral people of God, but to bring it to people outside. And what I think you're going to feel is some of that tension. It's hard sometimes to see the love and favor that's given to you extended to other people. But I also think you're going to be challenged to be one of those people who will give an open invitation and have open seats at their table for many uh, throughout your life. If you have your Bibles, find Luke 2. Uh, we're going to be in verses 21 through 40. Uh, before we jump in and read those, just a couple things I want to I share. You probably already know by this point, if you've been journeying with us through Luke, that it is impossible to extract all of the beauty and the truth and the wonder and the good things uh, in just a, a 30, 35 minute message from a single passage. So we just try to pick one thing to highlight. Uh, this week I was so distraught, Audrey can tell you, yesterday afternoon as I'm putting the final touches on the message, I'm just like, man, there's so much I have to leave out. But there are a couple things I can't spend a lot of time on, but I want you to kind of be brought into for a moment. Um, when we read this in just a moment, some of you are going to hear some uncommon things. And I don't want them to be distractions to you. You're going to hear about circumcision. You're going to hear about purification rites. You're going to hear about sacrifices. You're going to hear a lot of mentions, uh, many mentions about the law of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. So I want to break those down for you just really quick before we jump in. Uh, we, we have Luke painting a picture for us. He has, up to this point in his gospel, highlighted the obedience, the righteousness, the devotion of some of Israel's people, 
namely Mary, Zechariah, Elizabeth. And what he's going to do in this next passage is he's going to highlight in part Mary and Joseph's obedience. And so he emphasizes the law of the Lord and the way that Joseph and Mary kept that law. So there were Jewish laws concerning circumcision and purification and consecrating the firstborn to God. And so he's showing that to show, okay, Mary and Joseph are people that are honoring God. They're obedient. They're trusting in him. You're going to see multiple mentions of the Holy Spirit. We we have said all along that the Holy Spirit shows up again and again in Luke's gospel and again and again in the book of Acts. Luke emphasizes the Spirit, and for good reason. The prophet Joel, he says that God, in the time when the Messiah comes, will pour out his Spirit on all people. Like one of the signs that that God is moving, that he's working things towards restoration and reconciliation, is that his Spirit comes. And so Luke says there are all these evidences of the Spirit. The Spirit leads Mary to sing a song of praise. The Spirit leads Zechariah to, to echo this blessing. The Spirit here will lead Simeon. The Spirit actually leads Simeon into the temple at just the right moment. So you're going to see those things. And what I want you to see about that is when you take people who are obedient to God's truth and God's teaching, and you take people who are open to the leading of the Spirit, and yet they're obedient people who are leaning on the Spirit, God does incredible things. And the challenge for you and I would be, would we be people who would obey God, trust his word, honor him through our obedience, but also listen to how his Spirit may lead us? When that happens, we have a recipe for God to do mighty things. And what you're going to see here is a mighty movement uh, in the next chapter of God's story. So Luke chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. If you want to find the reference to where circumcision was commanded on the eighth day, you can go to Genesis 17. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of, two, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. In uh, Genesis 17, we have circumcision. In Leviticus 12, we have the purification laws. So when a woman would give birth to a son, um, he would be circumcised on the eighth day. And then 33 days later, she would be purified. Not because there's anything sinfully wrong with her, but simply when a woman's body gives birth to a child, there's a lot of healing that has to take place. And so that would give time for that healing to take place. And then she would go and, and make this sacrifice to God. In Leviticus Sorry, in Exodus 13, we learned about consecrating the firstborn to God. And so that's what they're doing. So Joseph and Mary are being obedient. Keep in mind that at this time in the temple, there are probably other couples whose babies have been born in a similar time frame, and they're bringing them to be consecrated, to, to mothers to be purified, and, and children have been circumcised. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. And so before I read what he says, I want you to picture this. Mary and Joseph come in. They've got their child. The Spirit of God leads. Simeon, you've got you to get to the temple right now. And so he, he goes to the temple, and immediately he's prompted to understand that this child is the one he's been waiting for. So he takes him from his parents' arms, and he lifts him up. And so here is Simeon, the full weight of his expectation, the fulfillment of what he's longing for. He's staring into the face of the Son of God, and he pronounces this blessing. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And then when all this is over, it says, when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. As you study scripture, here's a helpful hint. When there is what we would call a narrative, a story of something that's unfolding, if there is dialogue, that's typically a place to go because oftentimes the Spirit has led these people to record the dialogue as it shares us something very important. And so instead of focusing on the law of the Lord and Joseph and Mary's obedience, instead of focusing on the Spirit, we're just going to look at Simeon's words. Like, like what do we hear? What, what's in this song of praise? Well, what challenges us? related to the expanding love of God. So look at verse uh, 29. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Here's what's happening for Simeon. He has waited expectantly for something to happen. And now that it's come to pass, now that he's holding this child who is the Christ, like something in him is deeply fulfilled. And so he just shares, "I, I, I can depart in peace. Like, I can die. Things are complete for me. This is not a sad moment for Simeon. This is a moment of joy. He's just gotten to the place he's lived a long time. And finally, what he's been waiting for, what he's anticipating, it's coming to pass. Some of you have been with people or near people as they're dying. Something that I have heard from those who are suffering disease or just age is beginning to get the best of them. They'll say, I just want to make it too, or I just want to see. And they may name a graduation. They, they may name the birth of a child or grandchild. They may name something else. Maybe it's a, a wedding. And, and what happens is when that moment comes to pass, there is a peace that just rests on them. Like, okay, I've made it. I'm content. I have a full heart. That's what Simeon is saying. Something that I've been waiting for has come to pass. So I can depart in peace. So what has Simeon been waiting for? Well, look at verses 25 and 26. It tells us that he'd been waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
that the Spirit of God had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. So the consolation of Israel, I shared this with you in the Christmas season. It's the Greek word paraklesis that may sound familiar because the Holy Spirit is called paraclete, so the comforter. And so he is waiting for the divine comfort of God's people, which he sees being fulfilled in the Christ. Here's something else that's unbelievable. The Holy Spirit has revealed this to him. We have seen angels speak to Zechariah, speak to Mary, come and speak to shepherds. God's messengers revealing his message. And now we see that the Spirit is able to impress upon someone direction from God. And oh, by the way, when we come to follow Jesus, who comes to dwell inside us? The Spirit. And so here's the spirit who is impressed upon Simeon. I'm not going to die until I see the Lord's Christ. And so now in this moment, as he holds this child, it all's coming together. Okay, this is the consolation of Israel. This is the one who will comfort all of Israel. And so now I can depart in peace. And what he does is he begins to proclaim, not just to Mary and Joseph, but to everyone who's listening who this child is. Look at what he says, verses 30 through 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon begins proclaiming that this is the one who will bring salvation. This is the one who will rescue this is the one who will save. This is the one who will restore the relationship between not only God's people, but all people and their creator. I've seen the Lord's salvation. What happens here is so profound and you'll miss it if you read too fast. He says, this is salvation for all people. Simeon goes, I see, okay, this child is going to save the world. But it's not just for Israel, it's for everyone. Why is that important? Because up until this point, the ancestral people of God had seen all these promises. A promise made to, to Abraham, the whole earth will be blessed through you. A promise made to Moses that a prophet greater than he would come. A promise made to David that one would sit on the throne of David forever. They saw these as being things that would just shine the spotlight of God's favor and grace just on Israel. Like they were the ones who would receive it. They were the ones who would experience it. Like they would be restored. God would renew them. They would have their own promised land. It was for them, for them, for them, for them, for them, for them, for them. And so when Simeon says salvation is for all, it's like, oh, okay, wait a second. I thought this was for us. Well, yeah, it is. It's the glory of Israel. You've been waiting for it. You've been anticipating it. You've been hoping for it. You've spent your whole life dreaming of the Messiah, and now he's come. So celebrate that. It is for you. It's the glory of Israel. But what is it also? A light for revelation to the Gentiles. It is for you, but the beauty of the light that comes doesn't shine just on you with God's favor. It's for all people. Now, now, if you're a, a Jew who's been anticipating the fulfillment of God's promises to you, you might struggle with that a little bit. But wait a second. We, we're the people of God. We're the ones that have been waiting for this. His favor is supposed to be for us, and now it's for all people? I, imagine them, you know, uh, what's their relationship been with Gentiles to this point? A Gentile refers to anyone outside of the ancestral people of God. Who is it that took the Israelites away to captivity? Assyria. Gentiles. Who was it that took some of the Jews away in 586 BC? The Babylonians, Gentiles. Who was it that was ruling and oppressing them still? The Romans, Gentiles. You mean, God, you're going to save and rescue everyone? 
it's that moment, like we said with the in-laws, when those in-laws say, okay, I, I love you, but I also love him and I love her. I'm going to treat them as my own. In my estimation, and, and Audrey can, can rebuke this or debunk it if she wants, but I feel like my parents have, have really uh, taken Audrey in and treated her just like a daughter. They, from day one when we got married, have referred to her as a daughter of theirs. Not just an almost daughter, but a daughter of theirs. There's equality in the gifts that they give to um, both uh, me and her. Uh, there's equality in the care they give to me and to her. Sometimes I even think that maybe they did see her as an upgrade because there are times when I'll call and be like, hey, I'm just going to come down and I'm going to do kind of a study retreat. And, and my mom will ask, well, is Audrey coming? Well, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come down. Yeah, but, 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 but is Audrey coming? Like, it's like, okay, there's, 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 there's maybe some more love there. Anyway, so the point is, is that my parents had love for me and favor they gave to me for 21 years before Audrey and I got married. And they still love me with that same love and that same affection. But they've just extended that to Audrey as well. And they've done the same thing with uh, my brother's wife, my sister's husband. They just extend that love. This is what God's doing. God's saying, yes, Israel, I love you. I care about you. You have waited for me. So rejoice, celebrate. It's the glory of Israel. It's everything Israel's been waiting for. But also understand that this is for everybody. This is for Gentiles too. And let's look at the response to that by some. Let's look at Mary and Joseph first, verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I know that some of you are, are, are not parents. Um, and so for you, just think about um, when you had maybe a younger sibling born or if you're a proud aunt or uncle or, or maybe think about somebody else you've seen have a child and, and they do something special. If you ever watch a, a parent when their child has done something or something's been spoken of about them, it's good. The parent will just kind of beam. Uh, I remember being at a boot camp graduation, Fort Sill, uh, Oklahoma, and, and watching this 17-year-old kid from our youth group walk across the platform. And I, I looked just down the road to mom and dad and older brother and, and sister-in-law and, and girlfriend, and they were just beaming. Like, here was something they were so proud of. And here are Mary and Joseph who have just heard, okay, this child, we knew he was special, but now he's going to result in the salvation, not just of Israel, but of many, and they marvel at it. They just take a step back and they're like, wow. Like, our, our boy? It's just this moment. So that's their response. And Simeon speaks to them. So Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this is verse 34, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And there's kind of this special word for Mary. And Simeon tells her, a sword will pierce through your own soul as well. It's going to be hard, Mary. But all these things are going to happen so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon calls out what's going to happen is that when God's love goes from being understood as being just for me to being also for everyone, uh, some people aren't going to like that. When we understand that God's love and his grace and his mercy extends not only to those who've already been following him, but to others, 
it can create a polarizing response. This has always been the case with God's people. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, the prophet, the one that gets swallowed by the mighty fish, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the area we would consider Assyria. These are people that have oppressed God's children. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to see that God cares for them. He knows that if he goes, they're going to repent. And so he tries to run from God and, you know, he gets thrown overboard and the fish gets him and he spews him up on the shore. He ends up in Nineveh anyway, speaking God's message. And when the people begin to repent, like Jonah is upset with God. He's like, this is what I knew about you, God. I knew you're a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, filled with kindness for people. I knew this about you. He struggled to see that God's love could be extended to others. We'll see the same thing in Jesus' life as we journey through this year, seeking him through the story that that Luke unfolds for us. We're going to see the same battle. Who are the ones that struggle the most with Jesus? Pharisees, religious elite. Sadducees, religious elite. Chief priests, religious elite. Teachers of the law, religious elite. They struggle with it. Because they had this picture of what God's favor to them would look like. And then suddenly Jesus is blowing that picture up. So there will be falling of many. Now not every Pharisee, not every Sadducee, not every uh, person who knew the, 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 the word of God inside and out, you know, chose to rebuke and turn away from Jesus. But many did. Why? Because they didn't like that expanding love, that expanding grace to other people. You're going to see Pharisees plot to kill and to crucify Jesus. You're going to see teachers of the law try to trip him up and trick him with questions. All because he didn't meet the picture of what they thought God's favor would look like. And I don't think if we're honest, we're all that different. There are times when those who have been following Jesus for a long time understand God's love and grace for them, but they struggle to see the expanse or the enormity or the magnitude of God's love for other people as well. Do you ever find yourself struggling to believe that God could love them, whoever them is, as much as he loves you? Do we struggle to, to think that people who, who battle certain addictions or who have struggled in different ways in life or maybe making lifestyle choices that we don't think are in agreement with God's word and we say, okay, God can love them as well. God can accept them as well as they turn to him in faith. That's hard for some. It's hard for some in this room to believe that God can love a Democrat as much as he loves a Republican. I'm serious. I've heard your banter. It's hard for some of you to realize that, that, that God cares and there will be Democrats and Republicans and independents in, in, in heaven one day. It's hard for you to understand that. It's hard for some of us to understand that God's love extends equally to citizens as it does to immigrants. It's hard for us to appreciate that God's love and grace extends just as much to someone with white skin as it does with someone with a darker complexion of skin. It's hard for some of you. It's hard for some of you to realize that that God's love extends to the Middle Eastern as much as it does to the Midwestern. To some of you that riles you up inside, no way, God's love is for me. God's love is for people like me. No, God's love is for everyone. And that's what Jesus will come and unfold for the world is that that we don't don't have the same measures as we did before. that, That God cares and he wants all to come into relationship with him. He will be a light of revelation for the Gentiles and a glory for Israel. But it will result in the falling and the rising of many. The rising is a fun thing to watch. 
You watch some common fishermen hanging out, casting their nets beside a boat. Uh, guys who probably were passed over for some of the elite religious positions. And Jesus calls them to come and follow him. And you'll have a tax collector despised among his own people who's invited to come and to follow Jesus. We'll have the rising of many. In the process, hearts will be revealed. When, when we start understanding the great capacity of God's grace and love and concern and purposes for all people, it reveals something about us. Let's look at the response of another. Let's look at Anna, verses 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So we have this brief description of Anna. We understand that uh, she's a prophetess. The spirit had spoken through her before uh, we know that she's older. She's 84. Uh, we get a picture into maybe some of the grief that she's experienced. She married a man. Uh, they were married for seven years, and then he died, and she's been a widow ever since. And so probably for 60-plus years, she's lived alone. And how has she spent those years? She just comes and hangs out at the temple, and she worships, and she prays, and she fasts. She's just expecting what God might do. And so here we have this beautiful picture, Simeon led by the Spirit, Right at the moment when Mary and Joseph come, he's lifting up this child. He's proclaiming that salvation comes for all people, glory for Israel, light of revelation for the Gentiles. And Anna overhears it because the Spirit led her there at just that moment. And what does she do in response? It says she began to give thanks to God. So she starts praising God. God, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been praying for. This is what I've been fasting about. God, that you're, you're coming through for your people. And not only did she begin to give thanks to God, but she began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So in this crowded temple, there are people who've been waiting for the Messiah for years. Simeon's just pronounced it. And now Anna's like, okay, I'm going to keep telling people. I'm going to tell people that here's one who loves them, who cares for them, who has, who, who's God's favor extends to them. And so she starts telling with person after person the incredible news about Jesus. And so I wonder when we get to the point where we begin to understand the incredible enormity and magnitude and expanse of God's love, not just for us, but for all people, will that fill us with such a joy? Will that fill us with such a, a, a celebratory spirit that we can't help but share that with other people that they could be invited into that same uh, favor of God? Sometimes, you know, we, we look at things that we have and we wonder if, if, if what I have is given to other people, will it diminish what I have? And with God, the answer is no. He has the capacity to love and extend grace to others just as he has to you. See, the point of Simeon's words is to show that this Christ he will be polarizing and he'll be polarizing because he will shine God's love not just on the ancestral people of God, but to all people. And by the way, it's still a controversy. When, when, you, when you talk to people who are Jewish, who have, um, they don't believe that Jesus has already come, that Jesus was the Messiah, they struggle with the idea that that love could extend beyond the ancestral people of God. But before we judge them too harshly, let's look in the mirror and see if we don't struggle with the same thing. A couple takeaways. 
if you have yet to understand the enormity, the magnitude, the expanse of God's love for you, I'd encourage you to start asking questions. God cares deeply, 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 deeply for you. You are made, you are formed in his image. He has purposes for your life. He has found a way to send his son to restore you into a whole relationship with him if we will believe in faith and follow him. So if you've not made that decision, if you've not expressed that faith and talk to somebody, maybe it's a friend that's invited you, maybe you reach out to one of our pastors uh, through a connection card, maybe you come forward for some prayer and a conversation after a worship experience, but, but let's talk through that. The second thing I would challenge you with is if you're already a follower of Jesus, would you ask God to enlarge your heart for others in the same way that his heart is for so many? Would you, would you look at Jesus' example? We're going to see in the coming weeks that Jesus invites many people to share a meal with him. Throughout this year, you're going to find Jesus eating with tax collectors. He gets accused of eating with drunkards and gluttons. Um, we're going to see on Easter Sunday this incredible story of when a um, sinful woman comes in and anoints Jesus with her tears and with perfume. He welcomes so many and shares a meal with them. Table fellowship, sharing a meal in the first century was a sign of your being open to sharing life with other people. So if our Jesus is a Jesus who extends love and opens up his life to everyone, and we're to be the body of Christ, how is that reflected in us? Are we extending the love of God to others? Or are we just loving those who are a lot like us? Can I, can I remind you of what Jesus will say in Luke chapter 6? If you're using the scripture journaling Bible, it's on page 48. Jesus will say these words, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Let's welcome many to our table. Let's show God's love, not just for those in our life groups, not just for those that we sit next to in church on a given Sunday, not just for other followers of Jesus, but let's open up our table and extend his love to all. Let me challenge you with this quote from a man named Robert Mulholland. Uh, he, he wrote a book called An Invitation to a Journey, which is just an incredible read. He says this, if you want a good litmus test of your spiritual growth, simply examine the nature and quality of your relationships with others. Are you more loving, more compassionate, more patient, more understanding, more caring, more giving, more forgiving than you were a year ago? If you cannot answer these kinds of questions in the affirmative, and especially if others cannot answer them in the affirmative about you, then you need to examine carefully the nature of your spiritual life and growth. May we be a people who extends the love of God and the grace of God that we ourselves have received to so many others. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness. God, your faithfulness to 
love all like you have loved your chosen. God, to offer adoption to all who will believe in you to be a part of your family. God, help us to celebrate the enormity, the magnitude of your love. May we see that you have purposes and desires, not just for us, but for for everyone in the world. God, may we strive to proclaim your truth and the goodness of your kingdom that all might come into your life. Help us in this, Father. Lead us in this. And it's in your name.